Welcome to the Embracing You podcast with your host, Eric Pothen. We are all on our own unique journey to discovering ourselves. Each episode, I will help you navigate the journey within to reconnect with and discover the innate love you have for yourself. This podcast will cover topics from self-love to eating disorders and body image to mental health and to overall well-being. My goal is to help you honor and embrace yourself so you may live your most authentic life. Let's dive in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Embracing You podcast. I hope that your 2023 has been incredible so far and that you have been able to find intention in the way that you have gone about your days so far this new year. Today's episode is all about how to raise your children, or raise children, I should really say, to become intuitive eaters and to help them have a healthy relationship with food in their bodies. I've had a number of you reach out to me as as a parent and ask, how do I help my child have a better relationship with food in their body. And so I thought, why not interview an expert on this topic? And so today with us, we have Jen Messina. And Jen is a registered dietitian and mom of two based in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Jen is passionate about all aspects of holistic health and practices, the lens of health at every size and intuitive eating. She works with individuals who are ready to break up their dieting and find balance and joy with food. She also works with families looking to support their children to have a healthy relationship with food in their bodies. And you all, I'm not a parent, but I have three nieces, um, all under the age of 10. And so even as I was interviewing Jen, I was able to take away a lot with how I can continue to be a better role model for my nieces and how I can help them continue to grow a healthy relationship with food and their bodies. And so Jen is an incredibly wonderful woman that I was able to have this podcast with. Um, And so without further ado, let's just dive right on in. Well, hello, Jen. How are you doing today? Doing very good. Excited to be chatting with you and to dive into some of these really important topics that I think a lot of people have been asking me about. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. So to start today's episode out, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, maybe what you do and what led you to do the work that you do today. Yeah, so I'm a registered dietitian in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, I've been a dietitian for 15 years and I wanted to become a dietitian because I was very much deeply entrenched in diet culture from a very young age. Um, As a child, I was living in a larger body and decided that I wanted to crack the code on what it would take to be thin. So, um, you know, throughout my own like early years, you know, probably starting as young as 12, um, I definitely had a difficult relationship with food. I never had an eating disorder, but definitely disordered eating. Um, and so going into my internship and in, into dietetics, like I said, I wanted to kind of crack the code. Um, and I was very much rate or I, I, my schooling was very weight centric. So pretty much all what I learned about was 
putting people on diets, helping them lose weight and all this kind of stuff. So as I went through my practice, I started noticing a common theme that people could lose weight, but they definitely couldn't keep it off. And some people ended up with very serious health concerns, disordered eating or eating disorders as a result of some of the common information that we share. Um, so I started kind of, you know, trying to unlearn some of this and figuring out like, where, like, where am I going wrong here? Like what's, you know, what's wrong with what I'm teaching. And then I really stumbled across, um, Christy Harrison's podcast on, um, food psych and learning more about intuitive eating and help at every size. And then having my own children, I started seeing the connection between my own relationship with food and how, how I was kind of how I felt about my body and how kind of some of the guilt and shame from a very young age and how that colored how I felt about my body into my teens and early uh, 20s. So I really wanted my kids to have a different experience and to not have to, you know, struggle with their body image and struggle with their relationship with food. And so as I kind of learn more about this approach to practice, I learned more about how to support children to prevent disordered eating and also to help support them to have a healthy relationship with food in their body. So it definitely was an evolution. I think many of us who are dietitians, um, we have a bit of a checkered past um, when it comes to food and that's what draws us to this area of interest. So, you know, I think, you know, and the schooling is still very deeply rooted in diet culture um, and health and medical system as well. So I think we really have to, you know, somebody usually plants the seed of, you know, health at every size or intuitive eating. And that kind of, once you learn it, it's very hard to practice in that weight centric paradigm. Like I kind of think about it, like once you pull back the curtain on Oz, like you can't unsee, like, it's like the science is very strong around, you know, if we had, a, if we had a way to help people to lose weight permanently, like it would be done, right. It would be like, just do like keto or whatever. And, but it's like, why do diets fail? And I say diets, not people, because they all are unsustainable. So, um, so that's kind of, a, you know, a bit of my story in terms of what brought me to now I'm like very much an advocate of like helping as young as possible parents support their kids to not have children, um, who have that difficult relationship from that early age. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that. And what a gift that you are giving your own children by, you know, being a, a, a beautiful model for them of, you know, what it looks like to have somewhat of a healthier relationship with food in the way that we talk about food. Um, and so I think this is the perfect segue into the next question that I have for you. But um, back a while ago, I interviewed an eating disorder therapist, and I had asked her, you know, where she saw the biggest amount of work that needs to be done in the space of food and disordered eating. And towards the end of her response, she said that we need to focus on today's youth and make sure that we are educating and raising them to have a healthy relationship with food in their bodies. And so I've been following you on social media for a while now, and I've noticed that you post a lot of content about children and eating habits and whatnot. Um, and so what do you see are the most common problems in this space around children and food and eating? So I think like we are very much in a, a society where we think of parenting like there's the perfect parent, there's the perfect way to do it, and we're all trying to strive towards this perfection. And one of the things that's a stumbling block is that 
kids have their own ideas of what they will or won't eat. And so when a child has their own opinion and doesn't want to eat what you put on the table, you know, we see that as like defiance and, and then try to exert our will. So, um, I think a lot of parents don't know that children are actually born intuitive eaters. Like they don't need to be taught how to eat intuitively. You know, when we look at a child who's left to eat, you know, we provide as the parents the structure. So I follow um, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility. So basically that says that parents are responsible for the what, when, and where of feeding and children decide how much they eat from what's provided and if they eat anything at all. So if we ascribe to that, you know, that evidence-based model, then children really can can eat as much or as little of, as they want as they want at different meals and snacks. And we don't need to micromanage what they're eating. Um, now there's, there's like quite a lot of nuances there. So, you know, I think parents often worry that their child isn't getting enough nutrition or they're getting too much nutrition and they're going to gain too much weight. So many parents have the same fears. So as we were all raised in diet culture, um, we have the same fears for our own children. Like if I don't micromanage what they eat, they're going to be too fat or they're going to be too thin, or they're going to be picked on or bullied. So all of these things that like maybe happen to us as children, we have those same worries. And so we're, we often want, you know, the best for our kids, which is, you know, every parent wants that. Um, but how we go about it is sometimes we take over the role of the child. So sometimes we tell them how many bites, three more bites until you're done. Or we say, you know, no dessert until you eat your chicken. So all of these messages that basically tell a child that they don't know how much their body needs, um, those kind of mess with kids' internal hunger and wholeness cues. So if we kind of lean into the fact that kids know exactly how much they need to grow and thrive, then we can help support them to have that healthier relationship with all foods and neutralize food. So not having food as a reward or a punishment. Um, that's another thing that I find, you know, every time, you know, if you, every time your kid plays soccer, you take them for an ice cream, right? We're saying like exercise is rewarded by food and this is what needs to be earned. Right. So I think sometimes the best intentions, like we, we are un unknowingly, um, creating some challenges or some beliefs around food that we might not want to be. Um, but if we lean into the notion that like kids know exactly how much they need to, to grow and thrive then we can push through our own discomfort and see that over a period of usually a few weeks, the majority of kids will actually meet their nutritional requirements. Sometimes they'll eat, all they'll eat at lunch is blueberries. The next day, all they'll eat is toast. The next day, all they'll eat is, you know, bacon or whatever it is. Um, but we don't need to micromanage that, that food. Um, and, and we can let them and their body decide just as we say to kids, like, you're the only one that knows how, you know, if you have to pee, you're the only one that knows how much your body needs in order to feel full and satisfied. So um, the more we can use that intuitive eating language and, and let them decide how much they need, the better they're going to feel about their own cues and know that like diets or plans or protocols or resets, they don't need to follow any of those because they know exactly how much they need in their own body. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hearing a couple of things here. One is that language matters when we are talking about food around our children. And secondly, it's that we need to trust our children when they are telling us that, oh, I'm full or, oh, I'm, I'm not hungry. So a question that I have going with that then is, let's say a child sits down for a meal and they are refusing to eat 
any of it. I could imagine, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I could imagine as a parent, you would want your child to at least eat something. And so what would you suggest in an instance like that? I know it's so frustrating. So first of all, I would be curious, like what happened earlier? So, I mean, if the child just ate a granola bar 20 minutes before dinner. So that's one thing we always look at is like, Parents are responsible for setting the schedule. So regular meals and snacks, having that opportunity to eat, bringing them to the table. You don't need to eat, but you do need to sit. So some kids don't want to stop because they're like having fun doing their Lego or whatever it is. So we set the schedule of eating and we have meals. Generally, we want to have about two to three hours for younger kids in between meals and snacks and about three to four hours for older kids because their stomachs are a bit bigger. They can eat a bit more. Um, so if the kid came to the table and they ate nothing, um, then I would give them the opportunity. They would need to sit at the table for a set amount of time. Usually we would say one to two minutes per year of age to start with. Um, so if you're a five-year-old, we would get them to sit for five to 10 minutes. If they still eat nothing, that's totally fine, but there's no snacks for two hours afterwards. So I think parents still need to set a bit of a, a schedule because children are very impulsive so that they're, they don't have the, the brain, like their brain isn't developed in a way that says like, I need to eat like some protein and some fat and some carbohydrates so that I'm not hungry in 20 minutes. Like they don't have that kind of capacity at that age. So we, as the parents get to decide that. So we offer the food. If they refuse it, that's totally fine. But then we don't give them goldfish crackers right afterwards because that's an easier, a more palatable food. So if we've done our job, which is providing at least one, what we call safe food on the plate. So say that safe food is like strawberries or say that's, you know, bread or whatever it is then we've actually done our job. So we've allowed them to have that opportunity to eat. We've given them food that we know that they can eat. Um, and if they choose not to eat, then that's totally fine. They might actually eat more at the next meal. Or you may notice that maybe they're not, like growth is very, you know, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes children will eat a lot. And then I have parents saying to me, oh my God, he's eating as much as a grown man. Like, should I cut him off? Like, I'm worried that he's eating too much. And so similarly, like we, we don't want to force kids to eat, but we also don't want to like, sh like shortchange them and not let them eat to their full feelings of fullness um, because we don't know what's going on from a growth perspective. And that could be a period of time when they're growing a lot, or it could be a period of slowdown. So um, it really just depends on what's going on for that child. But I, I think parents have a lot of worry that like one meal or snack is going to break their nutrition and it really won't. Like kids will eat sometimes a lot one day and they'll eat nothing the next. And that's totally normal. Yeah. And one thing I'm just thinking about now is like how subjective a lot of this is where I feel like we have created such a narrative or we have like, okay, you know, the it's recommended you consume 2000 calories a day for the average human being. Well, what about a person who is active every day? 2000 calories might not be enough or, you know, things like that. But the same thing I feel like we can go back to with children is I feel like, you know, as adults kind of raising a child, you might think, well, this isn't a quote unquote normal amount of food that my child is eating, or this might be too much. But once again, those are all such subjective terms that I feel like can really limit I think, or trust what, you know, the child is choosing to consume in the moment. So what are your thoughts on that? I agree. I actually had somebody message me today on Instagram and she said, what is the, what portion size should I be serving? Like, what is the, the uh, appropriate amount of portion size for protein or whatever? And I think like, I could tell you an approximate, but your child might eat double that. So I don't want you to worry about 
setting these targets um, because each child intuitively knows, like if we lean into that and trust that they know how much they need, then what I tell you might be completely wrong or it could be way more than they need. So it's going to vary day to day. And so what I always suggest for parents is like under portioning food is better than over portioning because it can feel very overwhelming for somebody to have like a mountain of food on their plate. So what I would suggest is give them half of what you think they should eat. And I'm putting heavy air quotes here. Um, so if you think that they should have a scoop of rice, give them half a scoop because kids can always ask for more. Um, and that actually helps them feel more empowered. And so the other thing is like when we serve food and try to serve a family style, let them as much as possible choose the foods that they want. So don't force them to put stuff on their plate that they don't want. And then let them choose how much of those foods, maybe all they want for dinner is rice. And I know parents will worry that like, well, they're not getting their protein and this and that, but maybe at breakfast they had like three boiled eggs. So I think um, like letting kids decide on how much and not looking at like portion sizes. I also see this with adults and like, they'll look at serving sizes on packages and they'll be like, well, it's 13 chips. So like I counted out 13 and I ate that 13. And I even did this. I remember like as a young person, I had like 23 almonds or whatever it was when I was in my disordered eating. Um, but rather like listening to like, does that feel satisfying? So it's like, it's often like unlearning that the portion size for someone else might be different than what's what you need. Um, and so does that, how does that feel in your body when you have that amount? So really tuning into like, do you feel satisfied? Like, is that pleasurable? Is that enjoyable? And this is more for adults. For kids, I usually would just say things like, what is your tummy telling you? Like, is your tummy telling you you've had enough? Like, or what is your body saying? Letting them have that opportunity to explore what their body is feeling like. And, and what are the physical sensations that they're experiencing around hunger and fullness? Because they might not even know, like we just notice them having like a meltdown and, and we know that they need food. Um, but we can start using some of that language about like, what are the physical signs and symptoms that they're experiencing to help connect them with their body a little bit more? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I, I just think like intuitive eating in and of itself, I feel like it's starting to, you know, be talked about more and more as, you know, we continue to progress through time, which I think is incredible. Um, but I also think like, you know, the age of, you know, current parents right now, intuitive eating wasn't talked a whole lot, probably back 20 or 30 years ago in comparison to where we are now. So I think what's really exciting as we're having this conversation is how we are really coming back to that intuitive eating mindset when we are talking about food and eating with children at such a young age. And what a difference that experience can be for them in comparison to probably when you and I were growing up, when your mom was like, oh, you need to finish that chicken on your plate or you need to eat all your fruits and vegetables before you can leave the table. And it just makes me curious to kind of rewind on my own journey and see how some of that language is playing out in in my experience with food and eating and the way that I, you know, look at nutrition today. So I think it's a, I love how much you're focusing on, you know, the, the parent's job of kind of giving and guiding their child through the intuitive eating lens and the approaches of really tuning into those biological, physiological cues that the body is giving them as they're eating. Um, so what are some other ways that parents can continue to support their children at early ages, develop a healthy relationship with food in their bodies? So I think, you know, there's a lot of things parents can do. Um, children learn a lot more about food and nutrition 
by what we do. Like we can say all we want. We can, you know, say like try to neutralize food, but if we're not eating those foods, like if we're trying, if we're saying like a cookie is just a cookie is no big deal, but then we never eat any of those foods. Children notice that. So the biggest thing I, you know, I say to parents is that you don't necessarily have to be all the way there with intuitive eating to help teach your kids because a lot of us, like we were deeply entrenched in it for most of our lives. So the first thing to note is like for parents, you don't have to be all the way there, but also if possible, not dieting. That's like the number one thing. Like, can we step away from the keto, the intermittent fasting, the, you know, weight watchers, the noom, all of this stuff, all of them are just diets by another name. Um, can we step away from those and help our kids? Because they notice when you're only eating a salad and they're having pasta, like regardless if you say that all foods fit and you're trying to help them have that healthy relationship, they're going to notice if you're not eating those foods, they're also going to notice how you're talking about your own body. So if we think about our, our dialogue about our body becomes the inner narrative for our children about their body. And many of us can think back to our parents and maybe some of the things that they said about their body. Like I have some like stuck in there from like when I was very, very young. So if we can just go and try as much as we can to talk about our body in a neutral way or a positive way and focus more on function, like that you're appreciative of your legs for running, that you're so glad you've got strong arms to hug them. So focusing on function over appearance and not overly focus on their appearance. So for my kids, like I have children um, who are in like societally, socially acceptable thin bodies, right? So people might say to them comments like, like I've had weird comments, like my seven-year-old someone was like, wow, her legs are so long and thin. I'm like, ooh. So when we have those instances, so at home, we can neutralize our own language, trying not to talk negatively about bodies. And we can also help kids hear us talk about their bodies in a different way. So how I would generally frame that is like, oh, and she's a great soccer player and she's so kind with her brother. So like bringing it back to like these internal characteristics that I'm celebrating her for, because we can't buffer our kids from all diet culture. Like we can build resilience, but we can't shelter them. We can't put them in a bubble. So at home, I want to think of the home as like the safe haven. So if I can keep diet culture out of my home, if I can talk about body diversity, if I can talk positively about my own body, showing bodies of different sizes is another thing. Like, do you have body diverse books or are all the books thin white kids? Right. I mean, that's so I've had to like go out and like actively seek out bodies of different sizes so that they see representation of different bodies. Um, and then questioning those societal norms when people say those inappropriate comments, um, similar, like I've had it on the other end with families of mine saying like, Oh, he's really gained weight over the summer. Right. So rather than like what your child needs you to say there is like, actually he's growing according to his growth chart and we're not worried at all. Like your child needs to hear that you think their body is just right exactly the way it is. And we know that children like across the weight spectrum, like even children in larger bodies have better health behaviors if they believe that their body is actually a good size for them. So if children think their body is a problem, that is the problem. That's when they go down the disordered eating or the, you know, compensatory, like when they try to do like over exercise or things like that to try and make up for it. Or that's when they stop wanting to go to gym class because they don't want to be seen. You know, all of these things like shame and guilt 
for kids like doesn't motivate them to do health behaviors. So I think we can help keep the home that safe space with no dieting, diverse books, media, and also like I'll also point out like this is kind of like one depending on how far along your journey is, but like I'll point out like oh it's really interesting that have you noticed that all the bodies on that movie are all the same size? Like isn't that weird? Like they're all thin. Like is that like our classroom or is that like our community? Oh no, okay. Why do you think that is? So like we start getting into this media literacy and like you can start as young as like even five, six, like you can start talking about that and, and getting them curious about, about why only certain bodies are portrayed in a certain way. So I think parents have a really unique opportunity to help their kids have a different relationship than they did by doing some of these concrete things that will change how their kids see their own body as they grow up. Yeah, absolutely. I love everything that you just said right there. And I think they're all very tangible things that parents can do for their children, but they're also intentional. Like, I feel like if you are a parent and you're really wanting to, you know, do a good job of making sure that you are creating a safe space or a safe haven, like you had just called in your house of kind of rooting diet culture and whatnot, you have to be intentional with that. It can't just be here or there. And I mean, you can practice things here and there, right? But I think intentionality is so important in in a lot of this work that you're that you're talking about here. But another question I have for you is, is this process any different for parents of adolescents? Or how might parents shift some of these things that you just talked about for children to the older age? Mm -hmm. So I, I want parents to know that like, children are also resilient to our mistakes. So sometimes parents, like if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my goodness, I've done like X, Y, and Z, like I'm, you know, parents don't intend harm on their kids. So sometimes we don't know what we don't know, right? And we, when we learn, we do better when we know better. So I think just be compassionate with yourself. Like if you have, you know, made a few like sidesteps you can repair. And so like, if you have an adolescent and you're like, well, they're 14, like maybe they're just a goner. They're not. So one thing we can do. And one thing I encourage parents to do is if you do make a mistake, especially in adolescence, they love hearing that you've made a mistake. So I'll give you a, for instance, um, my niece is 13 and I accidentally made a comment at the dinner table, like about, to my daughter, like having, cause she was having, she'd had like a lot of different sugary foods that day. And so then she wanted like a fourth sugary food and we were the grandparents. And I said, like, I think you've had enough sugar today. Like, I think we're good. And then I was like, Oh, like, cause then my daughter's like, well, why, what's wrong with sugar? And then I was like, okay, you know, I actually didn't mean to say that. Like what I meant to say is that we actually need to have a, a bit more diversity in what we're eating. We can't grow on just one type of food. So I think parents need to know that like repair is very important. We can go back to something we said last week or last month or something that grandma said over Christmas and say, you know, this is what I said then, or this is what they said. Like, what do you think about that? You know, I didn't really mean to say it that way. I meant this instead. So I think parents need to know that like, it's not a sign of weakness to say that you made a mistake. And then the other thing I like to do with older kids is also get them curious around like who makes money off you not feeling good in your body. So if a child comes to you and they say, well, I hate my frizzy hair, like my thighs are so big or this or that, you can, you know, listen with compassion and curiosity, learning more about it, but also digging into like, 
where did you learn that? Oh, you learned that on TikTok. Oh, okay. Like, well, you know, if you go on a diet, what's who makes money off that? And start getting them curious around this. I really find like, well, Weight Watchers or whoever, like this book or this plan or this protocol, or this shake system, they would make money. Okay, well, when we go back in, in the ladder, like then who makes money? And then when you look at like the people that have developed a lot of these diets or plans, you know, a lot of them are really rich, white, older men. And so, you know, I think helping kids to see that like your body dissatisfaction benefits somebody. And if we can help them see that like being living in your body without doing those things is actually pushing back against the system, they get really like jazzed about that. Because, you know, as we know from adolescence, like it's very much a time of like, showing your independence and showing who you are. So I think parents can start, you know, and the other thing is not to agree with them. Like if, if a child comes to you and says, like, I hate my frizzy hair and you're like, oh yeah, let's get you a, a flat iron. Like you're saying that you agree that they also have terrible hair. So I think rather than just trying to fix it, I know we often want to fix our kids' problems, but rather than fix it, you know, approach with that curiosity and compassion and then digging into more about where that comes from. And again, like the systems of oppression that say that only one type of body, only one type of hair or skin or whatever it is, is the beauty ideal. Like where did the beauty ideal come from? Um, and then help them learn a little bit more about that. Um, and that really helps foster that um, kind of fire in them that like, maybe I don't want to just conform. Like maybe I want to be who I am and that's good. Um, so that's what I would recommend for parents, um, who do have those older kids, like don't give up. Like if you do, if you've been doing things one way, you can change how you do things now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The word empowerment comes to my mind as you were talking about that is like really instilling adolescence and really everyone and empowering them to just feel like they're the ones making the decisions and, you know, really just firing them up like you had mentioned. So thank you so much for sharing that. Well, the title of this podcast is Embracing You. So how does the work that you do help others embrace themselves? So I would say like a lot of my clients are, would be hard pressed to get to a place where they say, I love my body. So where I, where I help clients get to is maybe I don't, love my body, but maybe I can be kind to my body. So I focus more on embracing body neutrality. So how can I be in a place where I honor what my body needs and give my body what it needs? Maybe we'll get to body love one day, but maybe I just don't hate my body and don't punish it with diets and exercise I hate and things like that. So um, that would be, you know, my kind of idea of how we can really embrace ourselves is moving in the direction of body neutrality. Yeah. And I feel like not too many people know about body neutrality or are well educated on the difference between body positivity versus body neutrality. So I really love how you just spent a little bit of time there talking about what body neutrality is as well. So thank you so much for, for doing that. Uh, before we end our time together, are there any other words of advice or words of encouragement you'd like to give listeners today pertaining to what we've been talking about? I think just that you can start at any age. I think like even I have I have people that follow me that aren't parents, but they're also reparenting their inner child. So I think if you have children or not, like you can go back and think about like, how would my life have been different if somebody talked to me this way? And you can do some reflections and some journaling on 
you know, or like things like, what would my 99 year old self want to say to the me of today? So things like that, where we kind of, we are like helping to support our inner child and healing some of those wounds that like they do influence a lot of what we do today, right? How we eat, how we move our body, what we think of our body, our inner voice. Um, So I think you can start at any age with your children, but you can also work on reparenting yourself as well at any age. Mm, Thank you for that insight. I love that a lot. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Last but not least, if we are looking to learn more about you and the work that you do, where can we find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. So I'm at Jen, the dietitian. Um, I also do a lot of work with schools. So if you have a school, um, I do, we haven't talked about like the school environment around diet culture, but I do work with like a lot of PAC groups, um, and teachers. And we talk about how to help kids have that healthy relationship with food in their body at home and in the classroom. Um, so you can feel free to email me if you would like a school presentation. I will be having a group. Um, it's called body positive kids. I've run it in the past. It's being revamped. So that's on my website right now. So you can feel free to email me if you're interested in that. Um, but otherwise, if you're local in the Vancouver or BC area in Canada, I do see clients one-to-one virtually. Um, but unfortunately, I can't see anyone who's outside the province of BC, even though I would love to until my program is up and running. Wonderful. Well, Jen, thank you so much for your time. I absolutely loved having this conversation with you today. And like I said, I'm not a parent, but I'm already like thinking about the things that I can do with my nieces that are still so young and how I can have a positive role with helping them develop a a healthier relationship with food in their bodies and, and making me myself more aware of the language that I'm doing and what I can also do to model. So I really appreciate the work that you do. And um, I just want to thank you so much again for your time and your insight and your wisdom. So I am very grateful for this conversation and thanks for being on here today. Thank you so much. And if anyone has questions, always, I'm always open to answering those. Feel free to DM me. Thank you so much, Eric. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did and that you were able to take away a couple pieces of information that you might be able to use with your own children or other children that are currently in your life. So once again, a big thank you to Jen for her time and her wisdom as she shared that with us this episode. So until next time, I hope you continue to take care of yourselves. I hope that you continue to remind yourselves of your innate worth. I hope that you continue to just navigate your days with intention, love, and happiness. And most importantly, I hope that you continue to remind yourself that you are perfect just the way you are. Much love.